Welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 126, Anatomy of a Mystery, an interview with Jennifer Dornbush, coming to you on Thursday, February 7th, 2019. You are about to listen to Jennifer Dornbush, forensic specialist, dun, 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 and she's so interesting. She's passionate about her subject, and she's crazy knowledgeable. She's actually been growing up in this kind of forensics world, so she's known of what that of which she speaks for several decades, and, you know, she's younger than me, <laughs> but since she's grown up with it, it's always been a part of her life. It's been interesting to her, and she's just learned more and more and more about it until now, she's got a book out about it. She's got about a dozen different seminars and workshops that she gives. She consults with TV and movie people. She's a mystery novelist herself. So she has got a lot of really great information and so much so that we couldn't possibly get all of it into one podcast. But she does give us some basics. So if you are interested in writing a mystery or a thriller or something like that, or having those sorts of elements in one of your other genre stories or non-genre story. (laughs) Um, Jennifer talks to us about how we can start with mom and pop as a great foundation. We talk a little bit about red herrings, which are always interesting to me, like how in the world do I make them truly believable and make people go, wow, I was surprised at the end. That's, That's the thing that I like most about a good mystery, and I really would like to do it in, in books that I write. And then she gave us one more tip that really surprised me until we started talking about it. And then I realized, oh, she's right. It's in this and this and this. I think it's in everything. (laughs) So that was definitely something I made a note of for myself, like make a point to start using this more deliberately. So I think that you are going to very much love this interview. I hope that you'll excuse a couple of the little internet burps when the uh, audio gets a little wonky because of uh, the very long distance in between California and Sweden. But uh, this is a great interview. And when you're done, write down all the ideas and notes that you had from when you were listening and then get started. It's going to be a great way to make your mysteries better. I'm convinced of it myself. I'm sure it will be the same for you. So go get writing when you're done. Today's guest is Jennifer Dornbush. Jennifer is a screenwriter, author, speaker, and forensic specialist. She has several crime drama TV shows in development and recently adapted a YA novel for film. She also penned the film and novel, God Bless the Broken Road. As a forensic specialist, she consults on TV shows and has authored Forensic Speak, How to Write Realistic Crime Dramas. Her first mystery novel, The Coroner, released in 2018. She also hosts a YouTube channel, Forensic Fridays, and has collaborated with the Writer's Store and Script Magazine to produce a video on crime writing for writers. She loves to mentor aspiring writers and is a member of the Writers Guild of America, Sisters in Crime, and the Mystery Writers of America. Welcome, Jennifer. Hello. Thank you for having me back. (laughs) <laughs> oh, this is great. You were with us in, in uh, I almost said January. It is January when you and I are talking. <laughs> you were with us in September 2018 talking yeah. to us about how to turn a film into a novel. I, that's the direction mm-hmm. we went, right? Not the other way. Yes. 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 Yeah. <laughs> so um, probably a lot of people are going to remember you, but why don't we start by just doing a little bit of background. Tell us again about like who you are, what you do, and how you ended up in this field. <laughs> yeah. 
I'm still wondering myself. <laughs> I'll just kind of focus on the forensic aspect, but um, I, I always knew I wanted to be a writer since I was a very young girl. And, um, you know, I was a voracious reader, like many writers are, and just kind of followed that path. And it took me a lot of different directions um, and finally took me to LA where I um, learned screenwriting and um, started to really practice the craft. And as you know, it takes a long time to learn the craft and perfect the craft. It's a very competitive field. And so at, in, as part of this um, adventure and exploring screenwriting and who I was as a writer, I started to look at my background and what it was from my background that made me different than other writers that made me maybe a different kind of marketability right. <laughs> than other writers. And honestly, um, it, it took other people to kind of point it out because where I, where I find my passion and where I have a lot of expertise is in crime and forensics. And that's because I grew up in a home where my father was a medical examiner for three counties and the office was in our house. <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> so I absorbed all of this sort of death investigation, forensic world, you know, very just as, as you breathe, you know, just, it was just around me all the time. So when I started to really look at who I was as a writer the things that were naturally flowing out of me were things that had to do with um, injustice and crime and forensics and solving mysteries. And um, cause I, yeah. So that's kind of where it all sprouted from. <laughs> that is so cool. I could just see, you know, the little 10 year old Nancy drew girl. <laughs> yeah. It's, you know, it's funny too, because I really didn't connect it for a very long time, like till I was 30 or so that this wow. is, you know, this is, use this, Jennifer, like you, I, you have like so many stories of this wealth of, of experiences that nobody, people are like, look at me like, what? <laughs> and um, yeah, or they say, boy, you, you might need some therapy. <laughs> yes, right, right. <laughs> if you're talking to voices in yeah. your head and they're all about death and destruction. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Anyway. Now, all that being said, you have, um, geez, nearly a dozen or maybe more than that, uh, different topics that you speak on. So it was really hard mm -hmm. for me to narrow down, like, yeah. yeah, what we should talk about today. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love to talk about it. So um, as part of the journey, you know, you, you research when you're a writer. And I was looking at all of the stuff out there on, that's in the forensic field. And at the time when I was re researching, there were some things, a lot of them were really focused, you know, for novel writing. And there's some great resources, but I kind of wanted something that would give me the whole scope of the forensic field. And so I just, just, and I couldn't find it. And I was very frustrated. So I just went back to school. I, <laughs> I went back to get uh, to the Forensic Science Academy to get a certificate in forensic science so that I could understand the entirety of that world better. Because yeah. I, I grew up in death investigation. So I understand that world, but there's just, there's so much more. I mean, there's DNA studies, there's ballistics, there's crime scene investigation, there's blood spatter, there's forensic psychology, there's digital forensic. I mean, it just goes on and on, literally. <laughs> um, so as a result of that experience, I said, oh, I'm going to, we had to do this project. And I said, oh, I'm going to take 
I, I asked my professor, I'm like, I would like to take all this knowledge that I've learned and put it into a condensed workbook or handbook that I can use or writers could use who are writing in this genre that's just kind of a comprehensive piece of material. And she's like, I love that idea. Do that. So I did it. And then long story short, um, my friends encouraged me to publish it. So I found um, Michael Weesey Productions, which is a publishing company, very niche, niche company for the film and television industry. And um, I pitched a book to them on basically, you know, crime writing for our genre. And they, they're like, yeah, let's do it. So out of that came this. <laughs> I love this book cover. <laughs> they did such a good job. So it's called Forensic Speak. And it's basically how, how to speak forensics. And it has nice. over three, it basically, it's a, it's a forensic academy in a book is how I designed it. So nice. you're, you go chapter by chapter is all like, you know, there's a chapter on death investigation and crime scene and then ballistics. And then what happens in the court system? And there's over 300 terms. Um, 200 film and TV examples. There's just, it's just chock full of um, information for us, but it's like easily accessible, you know? Yeah. Um, and so from that, then I started to get speaking engagements and started to really study the genre in terms of breaking it down, like mm -hmm. really breaking it down, like looking at crime shows, what kinds of crime shows are out there? How, what's the, what's the common denominators in each of them? What makes a good, what makes for a good crime show? Like why is a certain crime sh show successful? And then I started doing a lot of speaking on that. So yeah. that's, I do that as well. So I love that one of your classes you teach um the, one of the prerequisites is that you watch i forget the first one and stranger things and i'm like right because oh, yeah. stranger things and supernatural are really like supernatural crime shows yes <laughs> yes exactly Something and it's, <laughs> yeah it's, it's funny because people i have this whole um seminar and um called the 11 crime story types where i where i break down like look at all the different there's so many like even house house is actually a, a mystery it's a medical mystery right. and it's got right. its own genre so if you sign up for my newsletter you can get this uh 20 minute master class in crime story types for free so Sweet. sign up at my website www.jenniferdornbush.com get a free awesome. class <laughs> and, but yeah it's true it's like there there are so many out there so many so so many and it doesn't matter like I'm not, I don't really love the legal, there's like legal mysteries, right? I don't love the legal world, but that's okay because maybe I like the supernatural world more or I like the amateur world more, like pushing daisies or monk are more like the right. humorous kind of detecting, you know, or more, or psych, it's more, or castle, it's, it's a little bit lighter. Um, so yeah, there's something for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, this is awesome. All right. Well, what do you have for listeners today? What, what can we um, take from you and start putting into our writing today? Yeah. So I thought I would just um, give you guys a couple little, uh, I, I'm, I love to bake and cook. So I always think in terms of ingredients. You know? Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so this is like the essential ingredients. Some, I'll give you some essential ingredients of a great crime story. Today. Awesome. Let's so, do it. Yeah. yeah. So um, what I like to, you know, what I like to say about ingredients, like let's say if you're going to bake bread, um, you need basically flour, 
yeast, water, and maybe some salt. It's very simple. But you can take those four things and you can make a lot of other things with them as well. So I'm going to give you some things that you can use in a lot of different crime story types. And once you watch that seminar for free, then you'll be able to plug them all in. <laughs> so, awesome. Um, the very, very foundation of any great crime story is, is what I call mom and pop. Just like the foundation of the family is your mother and your father, the foundation of a great story is mom and pop. And what that means is these are acronyms. And POP stands for points of proof. Okay. So when a, a real-life detective is looking to solve a crime, um, they're looking at the core for the points of proof. They want to find, uh, find what are the, that's where they're going to start. What are the points of proof? Points of proof are mom, means, opportunity, and motive. Ah. So this means, is good. I mom. like it. Isn't that fun? Yeah. yeah. It's, easy. it's easy. You know, mom and pop. Um, point, your points of proof for any crime are your means, your opportunity, and your motive. So, okay. your, um, so basically like um, means is how does that criminal gain access to either that weapon or that method of creating that crime or committing that crime? So um, I'm trying to think of an example, but you know, how, so they're going to rob a grocery store. How, how does that robber have access? How does he gain access to that store? Well, it might be in his neighborhood. It might be a place that he's, he goes to frequently. Maybe he's scoped out the joint. He's, he's walked through it. He knows where everything is. Grocery stores are open almost 24-7, so there's easy access. Whereas, like, if you're going to commit a crime at the White House, that's going to be a lot more difficult access. Or right. if you're going to commit a crime in Vegas at a casino like Ocean's Eleven, so much of that, that story is about access, right? right. How the means of, of getting in to, to commit that crime. Perfect. And then, of course, um, there's opportunity. So this is, again, how does your criminal gain access to the victim? So what sort of opportunity does that person have to come in contact with that, that victim? As you know, a lot of real life crimes happen between people who know each other, uh, family right. members or friends. So the access is, is very open. Um, again, like using the White House example, if you're going to to commit a crime against somebody in the White House, you're probably not going to have as much opportunity for access to them. You're going to really have to plot that out. Mm. Um, and then last is motive. And I think this is, can be the trickiest because this is your why. What is that criminal's intent or what is the motive to commit that crime? And, this is where you can have a lot of fun because people, there are actually like very, usually very, a couple very basic motives why people do the, do things, but the personal motives can be very complex. So usually it has to do with money or love um, or, you know, some form of that, like, you know, somebody's jealous or somebody want, is greedy and they want more money. Um, it, it really comes down to our vices, like why, you know, and yeah. the vices in extreme, why we commit a crime or why people commit crimes. But then the motive is what's kind of fun with, to play around with, with character development. Um, and one of my, two of my favorite examples, um, I'll start with 
the one um, is Hell or High Water, okay. which I don't know if you saw that. It was um, a brilliant film from a couple of years ago. It's actually a caper, which is a, a crime story type. And it's the most unusual, rarest, because in the caper, we're actually rooting for, for the bad guy. Ah. And we want the bad guy to win. So like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Thelma and Louise, right. um, Hell or High Water. You have these two brothers and yeah. they are committing these bank robberies, but their motive is what makes the whole story interesting. What the whole story hinges emotionally on their motive. And I don't know if you remember, but their mother has died and she has, they have this property and um, the property is going to go, I guess, basically like in foreclosure, like the, the brother's going to lose the property. And it's the only thing that kind of the mother left them. She worked hard for it. You know, she held on to it. And the one brother is estranged from his um, divorce from his wife, but he wants to give it back to the family. He's the, he's the main criminal. The other brother's not really a criminal, but he gets roped into it and <laughs> to help his brother, which is also an interesting motive. Like the love of his brother, he's going to do this crime. And so we're rooting for these guys because they're doing it for the sake of the love of their mother and wanting to save this property for their family and provide a future for their, for his son, for his, his ex-wife and his son. Right. So it's kind of like this really heart-wrenching, oh man, I get it. But like you're committing these crimes and killing people and like, oh, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you, I'm rooting, I'm rooting for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so anyways, motive means, yeah, motive, it can be very, I think that's really where the heart of, of, your, of your crime story hinges. And even if we think of like Breaking Bad, the reason why he started selling, um, meth Christian, and making meth is because he was dying and he wanted to provide for his family you know he yeah. didn't want to leave them so it was an extremely uh odd but oddly believable <laughs> journey to go from i'm dying and i have no life insurance and no pension <laughs> and therefore i need to do something for my family to i yeah. am the drug lord of the continent <laughs> Yeah, it changed a little. He really embraced that. Yeah. He really did. <laughs> but yes, but the original, original pilot, yeah, yeah. So yeah, but you know, it's funny. Um, John and I are watching Titans on Netflix. Mm -hmm. So it's the the Teen Titans, you know, comic book. And I watched the Saturday morning cartoon with John for a few years. Okay. Um, but live action and not exactly teenage. Some of them are teenagers, but some of them aren't. Um, but it's live action and you're finding out like what the story motive is for all of these people, like why they're on the path that they're on. And you're not 100% sure, unless of course you've read the comic or saw the Saturday morning cartoon, <laughs> you know, but, but right now you're supposed to not really know, you know, where this path is leading. But I just watched an episode today where I was like, Oh my gosh, what a great backstory. Like, I kind of didn't like that character, but now I understand his motives. And now I'm like, I can't believe I'm rooting for him, even though, <laughs> like, he's supposedly yeah. this is a superhero group and this guy is killing people. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they figured out a way to make me go, well, okay, if you have to. <laughs> <you know? laughs> yes, tricky, very tricky. Oh. Yeah. Awesome. Well, okay. So, so now we've got our foundation. That's right. Well, 
but doesn't so much of it. Yeah. 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 (laughs) See, in fiction, they get away with it most a lot of the time. In real life, maybe not forever. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Oh, your baby just really wants to be in the shoe, doesn't she? Yeah. She, yeah, she's... (laughs) <laughs> well, if you're, okay. if you're not watching on YouTube, if you're just listening on the audio podcast, there is a very cute, is it a dachshund? Yes. It, yes. This is Tessie. And um, she has a sister, Sedona, too. But Sedona's yeah. <laughs> sleeping. Okay. Be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we've got our foundation, our mom and pop foundation, which is so awesome because you put it together in a way that like, I'm like, I can remember that. So yay. Good. Good. Yeah. Yeah, so we want to start there, and that's always kind of where I start too when I create a new story. Um, and let's see, what should I? Let's see, what else should I give you? Um, that's kind of fun. Oh, let's talk about love. Yeah, I was yes. wondering about that in your um, outline. <clears throat> yes. So <clears throat> I also believe, and I think this has to. This ties into to motive a lot. Um, I also believe that every good slash great crime story, some form of love is always at stake. Always. It might be romantic love. It might be familial love. It might be just your platonic brotherly friendship kind of love. Um, But there's always, there's for any great story, um, criminal crime, mystery, one, any of that, there's always going to be a form of love. So for instance, I'm just going to give you guys a bunch of four instances. Cool. And maybe, maybe you can guess if if you haven't seen it, that's okay. But so Katie, so my, one of my favorites is monk. Yes. (laughs) You know what the form of love is in that one? Um, is it platonic love? Um, I, I, well, it's not. It's not okay. actually. All right. It's okay. Um, so the thing that drives Monk to come back to the force uh, is that his wife, Trudy, was murdered, basically. And it's an unsolved murder. And so his devotion to her drives him to, he's, while he's solving oh. these other cases, he's trying to figure out what happened to her. To her. Okay. Well, yeah. Right, right. That's so, a good one. Okay. Yeah. Um, we talked about Breaking Bad. Um, let's see. I'm so sorry. She's very, That's um, okay. <laughs> very upset here. Um, Dexter. Yeah. Dexter. Well, okay. So again, I'm kind of thinking familial love because he promised his dad, his uh, adopted dad that let's see, what was it? The promise was that he would never, he would only ever kill bad people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah. is that, yeah, yeah, he has, yeah, it's perfect. It, he has such love and respect for his dad because his dad trained him how to not be a crazy serial killer. Basically <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, he gave him the rules. <laughs> yep. Okay. Um, now you, this is interesting. I love this example because it's a comic mystery. It's a lighter mystery. It's a film. My cousin Vinny. It's actually, oh. it's actually a, a murder mystery. It's a crime solving uh, mur- movie. Okay. You know, and, I haven't seen that for oh, so okay. long. I know. Yeah, you'll have to tell us. I yeah. know. So, um, so Vinny, you know, he's a new lawyer and he gets called down to, to um, help with the case of his cousin who was, yeah. who's been accused of murder. And um, of course he's never tried a case, you know, and he's pretty rough around the edges. 
<laughs> from New York and he gets down there and his fiance goes with him played by Marissa Tomei and so the form of love that is at stake in this is her I don't know if there's that famous scene where she's like out on the porch and she's telling him basically like you need to solve this you need to solve this you need to figure this out you need to win this case you need to save your cousin because if you don't I'm not going to marry you. <laughs> oh, I don't remember that. And she's like, my biological clock is ticking. <laughs> I remember that part, yeah, though. <laughs> that's the scene. And so he's got this tremendous pressure on him to solve this case, or he's going to lose the love of his life. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, my goodness. All right, I have um, to ask you one. Have you seen the Kevin Costner movie, Three Days to Kill? No. Okay. Also on Netflix, or at least it's okay. on my Netflix list over here in Sweden. So okay. um, again, the, finds out the form of love. Okay. Finds out he's going to die, um, and wants to reconnect with his um, uh, teenage uh, daughter, who you know he rarely sees. Mm -hmm. um, what am I trying to say? There's a word for hardly uh, ever seeing kids. Estranged. Uh, estranged. estranged. Yep. Okay. Thank you. And so. Um, so I think he's with the CIA. He's with some, you know, secret government agency. Okay. And so he, it, it, so his goal is to uh, reconnect with his estranged daughter and he promised that he would call on her birthday and he ha has to do this, but um, everything is happening on her birthday. And he's like, I got to make a call. <laughs> <laughs> And then just trying gets, to call her. You know, just trying to call her and the building blows up, you know. Right. And then um he has this opportunity that he can spend a couple of days with her um while her mother is out of town and they haven't seen each other for a long time. So mm -hmm. he's in the middle of like beating up guys for information and his daughter calls and he has has been ignoring her so much of her life that he takes her call every single time she calls. Plus she <laughs> made her uh, made the ringtone for for her number from him um something ridiculous you know that doesn't really go with being a cia agent <laughs> and so Sounds one time he's guy. like beating up this italian guy because he needs this information and his daughter calls and says i need to know how to cook spaghetti for my new boyfriend oh. and he's oh like hold God. on a second and he says to the guy you're italian right uh -huh. you better tell my daughter how to make spaghetti and do it right now <laughs> And he hands him the phone. The guy's bleeding. He's all like, you know, um, handcuffed or taped up or whatever. And he's like, you tell her the recipe for spaghetti right now. Oh my gosh. So like, it's totally serious. There's people dying and you can't really tell wow. who are the good guys and the bad guys. Cause you know, that's kind of how CIA type movies right. work. Yes. Uh, but every single time he stops to like, try to figure out how he can, you know, make his daughter happy Reach with out him. To her. I love that. I love that's so perfect. That's just the perfect example. Yeah. That familial love is driving him. Yeah. I love it. All right. Now it. you're making me think this is probably in more things than we realize and we should it's make in almost everything. Yeah. Yeah. So Heller, yeah. Heller, we should take advantage others. more. Yeah. What was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, again, back to hell or high water, it's the love they have for their, each other, the family, you know, that brotherly love, the love for the mother. He, even though he's divorced from his wife, he still loves her and his son enough to like want to give them this land. And the, kick, the kicker is there's oil on the land. Oh. And so they're going to become like millionaires. So right. spoiler, <laughs> if you haven't seen it by now, it's your own fault because it's been That's like right. <laughs> 
<laughs> awesome. Okay. All right. I like Should it. I give you one more? Or uh, yeah, time? yeah. Give us one more because yeah. I, I also um, have a question about something that I'm oh. trying to guess whether or not I can figure out how to do it, but I was going to ask you about it. So you give us one more of your tips oh, though. Okay. Well, we can do the question too. I don't mind. Okay. All right. Let's so, the so you, the all right. You were talking about um, the foundation is mom and pop and mom is um, motive, opportunity and means. No, you said it yeah. different means, Isn't opportunity yeah. and motive. Okay. Yeah. So, one of the things that I've always wanted to do well, but struggled with is figuring out how to do good red herrings, mm. like not the ones that are so obviously not that person or the ones that are so obscure or obtuse that you're like, yeah. I'm just mad at you writer for <laughs> making this not something I would have ever been able to figure out. <laughs> so it made me wonder when I was reading your outline, would Good red herrings be to have um, two or three other people who only have two of the three, but the reader doesn't realize that like this person has means and motive, but no opportunity or opportunity and means, but no motive. I mean, are those the sorts of things that might wow. make a good red herring? Kitty, that is such a great question. And I never thought about it that way because I, I struggle with that too. I don't think there's any crime mystery writer who doesn't struggle with that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, that would explain why it's book. been hard for me to get, get a good answer. <laughs> no, it, it's, um, no, I mean, I'm always, always trying to, to walk that line. Um, and even, I mean, just honest writer truth, I'm putting the edits on my second corner book. So we have this one. And then the seat, the next one is coming out later this year. And I'm, and one of the notes I got from my editor was like, we need a few more red herrings. Like I need more trails of evidence to follow. And I'm like, Oh, I thought, I, you know, I thought I was doing so good, but then, you know, it's so everybody, this is like, first of all, it's okay. Let's just start there. It's okay. Everybody struggles with this. And, um, but yeah, that's a good, I think that's a really interesting way to tackle it. And now that you say that, I was writing yesterday and adding some more of these red herring characters and things. And I did, and I guess I was, I'm now inherently doing it where I think through mom all the time, but yeah. I was like, okay, having her do this dialogue of like, they were trying to figure out, well, did he have the means? Yes. Did he have the opportunity? Yes. But then she was struggling with his motive. What would his motive be? Right. And she was... So I think that's brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> well, you know what? If I it works out real well with your edits, you'll have to let us know that, that it is a potential way to, to come up with them. I think that's a great idea. Well, yeah, because it's just a natural question you're going to have to ask of every single suspect. Yeah. So I always try to, you know, figure out my mom and pop and then who are my, you know, who's my protagonist, who's my real killer or criminal and then who are the potential suspects and so I think that would be a great way when you're doing the pre-work to look at each one and say well where you know where were what was their motive what was their means what was their opportunity and and kind of play around with that I like that um, I like I it like too that. you know I, like I have it. to say I, I'm like I should get some sticky notes out and start you know putting them up on the yeah. wall and see if I can come up with a, a good yeah. mystery yeah <laughs> Now, how do these things work with, um, was pop points of proof? Is that mm -hmm. what it was? Yeah. Okay. So 
what is that? Are those like little um, breadcrumbs of this is the proof that we have that this person really did it? Is that? Points of proof is just the term used for means, opportunity, and motive. So oh. when detectives are saying, well, what are the points of proof? They're, they're saying, what are the, what's mom? What are the means, opportunity, and motive? So oh, okay. It's the same thing. It's just a different way of saying it. Yeah, I suppose, you know, if um, really hardened cops were going around going, what's mom? What's mom? It would probably look weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I don't know that they go around saying, what are the points of proof? But it's more of a like, um, so sergeant, what are the points of proof on this case? It's more of a um, textbook term, you know. So. Right, right. That means, means opportunity and motive. So. Okay. So, yeah. so where... Where are you writing in the things that are like the little clues that lead you to realize, well, this either is a clue that maybe it's this, this person or this is some sort of actual proof, like the ballistics come back, it was this gun. I mean, mm -hmm. then you would have to prove the person actually had the gun and fired the gun. Mm -hmm. But right. like, how do, you, how do you mix these things together? Um, that's where I do a trails of evidence. Ah. Yes. And then now, perfect segue into the, the third thing I want to talk about, which is evidence. Okay. So just, uh, I think, uh, be, I there are basically six types of evidence. So be, let's just be aware of what evidence is out there so that you have them in your little toolbox. You have, you know, it's like spices in your cupboard. You can use them. So um, I always create, um, again, when I'm outlining it's, I love mystery writing because it's very left brain, right brain. You know, you have your character development and all the motive and the emotional journey that the characters are going to go on. But then there's the trails of evidence, which is just your, it's got to make logical sense. You know, yeah. like the bullets came from this gun. Well, then how, did, where's that gun? And did that, was that person in possession of the gun when the crime happened, et cetera, et cetera. So um, that's just something I lay out kind of in outline form. But it's imp I think it's helpful to know what all the types of evidence are so that you can draw from them. Oh, yeah. So um, first, there's just, there's basically um, two top categories. So you're going to have your, your direct evidence um, and your physical evidence. So I'm going to just start with direct first. And then we'll get to physical because there's a lots of types of physical. So direct, okay. your, your direct evidence is things like photos, videos, witness testimony. So like mm. that, you know, camera that was propped up in the corner of the gas station that saw that guy come in and beat up the clerk, that's that camera that's providing you direct um, evidence. Okay. Um, we have a lot more of that going on in this society than we did 10 or 20 plus years ago. Right. We have a lot of direct evidence these days. Um, in fact, so much so that people almost tend to think, well, there's got to be a video. There's got to be a photograph. Someone must have been recording that. And when they don't, it's like, well, why not? You know, we get very, <laughs> you know, is it Big Brother watching? all the time <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, and then we have um what i call indirect evidence or what not i call but what is called indirect evidence which is circumstantial evidence okay. and i actually love circumstantial evidence and statistically circumstantial 
circumstantial evidence is what most cases are hung on, not direct and not physical. Ah. So which circumstantial evidence is great for writers is horrible for the justice system <laughs> yeah. but, and, and, and criminals and victims, but it's great for writers because it's that gray area where we can really create intrigue and doubt and raise questions and um, play around with he said, she said kind of things. So in circumstantial is what you hear, what someone notices. Um, it's what we deduct or infer from okay. a situation. So like, let's say you go to work and you're gone for eight hours. And when, when you leave for work, everything is tidy and neat. The TV is on the wall and the plants are nice and everything's set up. Your laptop sits, you know, it's nicely on your coffee table. and Everything's clean and neat. And you go and you leave and you lock the door and you go to work. Then you come home and the door is busted open. The window's broken. Your TV's gone. Your computer's gone. The plant is spilled, there's dirt everywhere, and the place is a mess. So what might we infer? Circumstantial evidence is going to tell us maybe what happened. Yeah, someone broke into my apartment to steal my stuff. <laughs> yeah, right. Now, um, because you sure didn't do it, and that's not the way you left it. And so then we can have fun going from there saying, but, but who would have done this? Um, and how do we figure out who did this? So what might be some possibilities about who came into your apartment? So depending on where you live, um, you know, a neighbor or somebody that you've seen wandering the streets who doesn't seem to ever go anywhere or mm -hmm. I mean, those, those would be the first two people that I would think of. Sure, sure. And maybe if you were involved in like a nasty breakup, it might be a boyfriend who's... Right? reclaiming his television or something right <laughs> I'm trying to get back at you yeah. <laughs> um, or it could be somebody busted into the wrong apartment maybe they thought you were some you know they got a tip and they thought you were someone else I mean see how we can go in a multitude of directions yeah. yeah. um, and then you have to go from there to figure out like when the person broke in did they leave foot footprints anywhere or fingerprints like when they went through that glass was there any blood left or when they dumped that when that plant got dumped over did a part of their shoe print get impressed into that soil I mean really cool stuff these are your trails of evidence that you can start to play around with you know nice so did they leave a, a hair somewhere did they go into your fridge and make a peanut butter sandwich and and leave their cup and their wipe their mouth on a napkin and put it in the trash or I don't know, you know, that's all stuff yeah. you can grab DNA from. So. Right. So nice. Yeah. All right. So then the, then the third, which has subcategories is direct, uh, sorry, physical evidence. And we just okay. talked a lot about physical evidence in that example with the apartment. So you're going to have biological, which is anything from us, blood, okay. urine, saliva, skin, um, and then you're going to have um, trace evidence, which again might be just like a, a strand of hair or a skin cell, or maybe it's even a, a piece of sand that got left behind from somewhere, from a bottom of a shoe or a piece of grass. Or um, There's a whole subcategory of biological forensics and animal forensics where people, know, botanists and geologists can tell you where 
certain plants and soils come from and that can help solve cases or right. a certain animal fur came from this animal that only lives here and um I'm telling you, this field is ginormous. <laughs> I remember seeing a lot of that in uh, CSI, at least the first couple of seasons. Man, they really went into it. Yeah. And then there's your just your basic physical evidence like fibers, soils, bullet holes, shoe prints, a bullet casing. Um, and then there's impression evidence, which is also physical evidence. So that's like teeth marks. That's going to leave a mark oh, in right. someone's skin. Or there's, you know, someone might hit the wall and it, and it leaves a mark, um, shoe prints, boot prints, um, footprints, thumbprints, right. anything that kind of impresses. Yeah. A, a ring on tires. somebody's finger. Okay. A ring, um, tool marks, tire marks. So, right. So now you have lots wow. of ingredients yeah. <laughs> to create your trails of evidence. Okay, so. this actually is making it feel a little bit easier. Like mm -hmm. I have a lot of things to choose from. <laughs> yeah. The hard part is the choosing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just read a book uh, last yeah. week where um, somebody broke into her house, made it look like it was a robbery, but uh, you know, as far as like tearing things mm -hmm. up and going through drawers and stuff, but didn't actually take anything. She couldn't find anything missing. So then they were trying to figure out Huh. Okay. Was it a robbery or was somebody specifically looking for something or did they do something else and they were trying to make it look like it was a robbery? So that was interesting. Yeah. See, right there you have three possibilities, three different trails that that, that detective can go down. Okay. So you go down, here's where the red herrings work. So as a writer, the detective will lay out, well, it could be A, B, or C. So then they, they look and they say, well, what's the most possible? Well, okay, maybe we don't know. We're just really stuck. So you go down this trail and you find that's a dead end. But then they come back to the trailhead and they go down the next trail. Hmm, that was a dead end. And then they go down the third trail and then that leads them to another trail, which leads them to another trail. So I like to think of it as hiking too, because I hike a lot and, you know, it's like, it can take you different places or it can put you at a dead end. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and you want to see the Vista or, yeah. yeah. And I guess the, the red herrings would be uh, like possibly, and now I'm just sort of guessing, but like, um, I remember hiking the Grand, Grand Canyon. If you started at this trailhead, you would go in this direction and then you would wind up at the gift shop at the end. But if you went uh -huh. and started at this trailhead, you would kind of hike around a different way, but you still ended up at the gift shop. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> now, obviously, that's a marketing ploy as well. But. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what we're trying to do, too. We want you to eventually end up at the gift shop. <laughs> and solve the crime. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is fun. This really makes me want to get into it. Okay. okay so I have to ask a question just because um, I'm determined to make this super useful. Well, for me, in addition yeah. to listeners, Absolutely. I have been sort of partially working, you know, a little bit now sometimes and then a lot other times on this um, supernatural suspense that now I realize um, have a lot of criminal elements. Like I knew it did, but I was like, oh, it, it really, I mean, suspense uses crime uh, mm -hmm. something bad mm -hmm. is happening, mm -hmm. um, illegal, immoral or, or something, right? Yeah. So um, if you wanted to add supernatural elements, does it change anything or are 
the guidelines for writing a suspense more or less still the same? It does not because both suspense and supernatural are crime story types and you still have to start with mom and pop. Nice. Yeah. It's just the genre is different and the rules of the genre are a little different for each. Um, but you, that's what I love about this. As I spent hours and hours breaking this all down, I was like, oh my gosh, it's the same. It's the same in every story type, whether you're writing yeah. a Western thriller or a, a supernatural suspense or a sci-fi mystery, it's, it's, the base is the same. And right. so then it's just you add the conventions of that genre onto it, you know? Right. So... Oh my gosh, you're making me want to like, okay, it was nice talking to you. I have to go right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh, this is so much fun. So yes, it is fun. And every and I think people don't realize how much they this everybody uh, how do I say? It's so key to so many of the things we write and watch. You know, it's just helpful to know where to start <laughs> yeah because yeah. how many times you know do you get started here and then if you if you're not really thinking about mom and pop and the foundation and love and and where this all starts then it can it starts to crumble when you get toward that act horrible act two <laughs> and you're yeah. like i don't know where, why this is happening and your motives start changing and you don't know where to go with the trails of evidence and um yeah, yeah it just makes it easier and and yeah so do you think that, um, is it, in your opinion, um, as easy to write this sort of story uh, if you're a plotter or a pantser? Or do you think that most people who write this kind of story probably are plotters? That's a good question because I am a plotter. You know, as screenwriters, we are trained to plot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Woo! We are trained to structure, structure, structure. Um, but I think... If you are a panther, you can still just start with mom and pop and, right. and love and have those, uh, those uh, you know, your spice case of ingredients of evidence ready to go that you can pull from when you need them. Um, yeah. But I think if you're a panther, really, you can just start with those few basic things. And as long as you know that... You're, yeah. off and run, you're off and running because here's the thing like detectives. So I like to work, work in reverse where I solve the crime first and then I go back and write it. But let's think about this. Real life detectives are pantsers, right? Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Just trying to figure it out as they go. So right. they start with this mom and pop theory, right? And then they go from there and, tr- and try to gather the evidence and solve the case. So I think it actually works really well for panthers if you're looking at it in terms of like the eyes of your detective because you're, you're going into it as they are. Right. So, yeah. Oh, I bet you just made a whole bunch of panthers yeah. go, oh, thank goodness, I feel thank better. You. Yeah, because they're like, oh, plotters. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so boring. <laughs> so now that I've plotted the story, yeah, I already know it. Why write it? <laughs> I know that is that is a danger, right? <laughs> <laughs> I did overplot a story one time to the point where I had a hundred pages of a couple of chapters and and so many notes, like 
seriously overplotted it. And by the time I had my 100 pages, I was like, okay, now it would be time to write the book, except for I don't care anymore. <laughs> Even though I'm a plotter, like I had gotten all of the cool stuff already out into really boring little paragraphs oh, about no. what happens on page 72 and 79. And <laughs> so that's why I am really, um, I think I might always do this. I'm not sure. That's why I love kind of writing the script first. Oh yeah. Cause you kind of get, you strip away all the essentials yeah, and then you have to, you know, then you have to add some stuff back in, but <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah that's anyway. true though. Cause the screenplays that I've written, like I, I think it's probably the fastest thing and not just, um, not just because it's, it's fewer words on paper, but I think the fastest yeah things I've ever written have been screenplays where I was dying to know how does the boy get the girl like what's he gonna say to convince her and stuff yeah. like that you know yeah exactly I love it oh. and I'm gonna be totally honest like I am I'm a pantser in the sense that like um I don't like even yesterday was classic like my editor's like you need some more red herrings I'm like oh my gosh where I didn't I didn't plot for that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know what to do, but I just started, I'm like, all right, well, I think this is generally, okay, I'm going to throw this guy in here. I think he's going to be a suspect. And I think this is going to be his, you know, this is his, I knew like two out of the three, usually the means and the opportunity. And as I started writing, I'm like, I don't know why he did this, like, or why he wouldn't have done this. And I, as yeah. I started writing it, that was the pantser in me coming out where all of a sudden I discovered, oh, that was his motive. Yeah. You know, so. I, I love aha moments when you're yeah. writing. Yeah. Oh, this is so much fun. I want to talk to you forever, but I have to be aware of the fact that you are in the middle of some edits for book two. Yes. Time to get Very to work. Fun. Yes. Now tell us a little bit about, uh, I, I want you to tell us where people can find out more about you, how to sign up for your newsletter and get more information. You have a uh, video that's, that you did in conjunction with the Writer's Story and Script Magazine. But my first question is, when does book two come out? <laughs> uh, we're waiting on a publication date, but it's probably not going to be till September. But it'll and be sometime end of I've been dragging my feet on this edit. I hope it's not later. <laughs> later in 2019, yeah. then. Yes. Awesome. But if you want to catch up, this is the first one, the coroner. And this and this and the video you're talking about and the newsletter and all that stuff. It's a one-stop shop. Just go to my website, jenniferdornbush.com, two N's. D-O-R-N-B-U-S-H, jenniferdornbush.com. And there's tons of links there. There's free stuff there. You can sign up for the newsletter and get that crime story masterclass for free. Nice. And uh, lots of other resources, links to the books, etc. Sweet. Yeah. So, links to the webinars and all that. So, Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. I really appreciate it. You're so very welcome. Um, it's always such a pleasure to see you. And I hope everybody out there that this was helpful. Um, contact me if you have questions. I'm easy to find on my website and stay curious.